Section 55 of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter 55 from Thomas Winter. Notes on Port Phillip by Thomas Winter, Esquire, of Hobart Town. In a letter to Mr. Swanston. Perhaps you have heard that in 1802 two ships were dispatched from Sydney with prisoners, under sentence of transportation from that place, and a suitable guard, in order to form a settlement for the infliction of secondary punishment, and Port Phillip was the place appointed for it. The vessel arrived there, but strange to say the country being considered inhospitable and badly watered, the place was relinquished, and the party came, instead, to Van Diemen's Land, and formed the first settlement in this island. It appears that, from that time till about two years and a half ago, no one had visited that part of the coast adjacent to Port Phillip. Then some sailors, who had gone upon it by chance, described it in such terms as led Mr. Batman and one or two more to visit this new country. The result you know. A company of settlers was formed, and while they were petitioning the home government for the grant of a large tract, the place became notorious, and all eyes were set towards a country possessing what seemed to the Van Diemen's land settler the source of unbounded wealth, namely, unlimited pasturage for sheep, and that of the finest kind. Great numbers of sheep were soon sent over, so great that now, within two years of the first shipment, the estimated number of sheep and lambs in that country is 250,000, a few only of which have been lately sent from Sydney outstations overland. Having mentioned a few interesting circumstances connected with the place, I will now describe the place itself. The entrance to Port Phillip lies about north of Circular Head, the northwest point of Van Diemen's Land, at a distance of 180 miles. The harbour resembles an inland sea and is from 40 to 50 miles across. The navigation is, however, intricate, the water being for the most part shallow, with but a narrow channel through the sand flats these being covered for the most part with about two fathoms of water. At the northeast extremity of the harbour is the mouth of the Yarra Yarra River, upon which, at the distance of seven miles from the anchorage in the harbour, is the township of Melbourne. At the mouth of this river is a bar of mud, over which the water flows only nine feet. Consequently, small vessels alone can reach the town. Williamstown is formed opposite the anchorage, on the western side of the mouth of the Yarra, at Jellybrand's Point, and would be a thriving township but for the want of fresh water, of which none has been found, and the only supply at present is brought from Melbourne in boats. The situation of Williamstown is very pretty, and it consists of about ten houses and stores, chiefly for the reception of cargo from vessels. Melbourne is also beautifully situated on a gently sloping hill upon the banks of the Yarra, and surrounded by a lovely country, lightly covered with trees, chiefly eucalyptus and acacia. I think there are a hundred and fifty built, or in progress, at the present time. For some miles round Melbourne the country bears the same beautiful character, grassy and luxuriant, with trees scattered over it, as in the least woody parts of old forests in England. There is, however, so great a scarcity of large, sound timber fit for building, that the greatest part of Melbourne is built with wood from Van Diemen's land. The want of good timber is generally felt throughout the colony, and although there is plenty in the interior, it is probable 
that many parts will always be more easily supplied from the island than from elsewhere. Almost every kind of natural scenery is to be met with at Port Phillip, though it is very rarely that we find the steep, thickly wooded hills which abound here. On the contrary, I would say that the largest quantity of land, perhaps one half the country already explored, is plain, generally without trees, nearly flat, and often stony. Some of these plains are lightly timbered and are then called forests. The hills vary very much, some resembling the Wiltshire Downs with the same short pasturage, others covered with rich long herbage and spotted with trees, while others are woody to the top. But few of them, however, are either too steep or too woody to prevent a horse trotting up to the top. About fifty miles west of the port is a beautiful fresh-water lake, the scenery around which is delightful. It is about ten miles round. Beyond this is a salt-water lake ninety miles in circumference, with numerous smaller ones or lagoons, all of which are salt. A singular feature of the country is the salt that abounds within a few yards of fresh-water rivers. Water rises into holes as salt as the sea. I found one lagoon, the water of which was nearly gone, with a thick crust of pure salt, and nearly all the wells hitherto dug yield the same briny fluid. There are no navigable rivers, neither can the country be called well watered. I doubt not, however, that eventually wells will be bored or dug sufficiently deep to reach fresh water springs. The sheep, cattle and horses, and indeed every animal that has been sent over, thrives in an extraordinary manner. Lambs three months old weigh as much as their mothers while the cows are like fatted beasts. The natives are numerous and troublesome. Indeed, they are the greatest drawback to the colony, since they cannot be trusted. Several murders have been committed by them, but not lately, and they seem to fear the white man's revenge. The men are tall, well-made and muscular, their hair long, black and generally curly, such as might be coveted by an English dandy. Features very various, but often good, teeth particularly fine. The original clothing, both of men and women, seemed to be two mats made of skins joined together, the one hanging before, the other behind. Now most of them have some article of English clothing. Their natural food consists of the meat of the country when they can kill it, but chiefly roots, of which the favourite is that of a plant very much like dandelion. This they roast or eat raw. Their arms are spears, stone hatchets, and a sort of wooden tomahawk. The quadrupeds of the country are the kangaroo of the largest kind or forester only, opossum, bushy-tailed and ring-tailed, flying squirrels, which are, I fancy, opossums, having the membrane between the legs, these are various. The smallest, about as large as a full-sized cat, is a very beautiful animal, resembling the English squirrel in shape, the colour, slate, shaded off to white, the tail black, and the fur beautifully soft. The wombat, I believe, is the same as in Van Diemen's land. The holes are different and are remarkable, being always of one construction. A large funnel-shaped hole, perhaps six feet deep, and three in diameter at the bottom. The burrow then strikes off horizontally, invariably under a large slab of stone, which prevents the earth falling. How the great hole is formed puzzles me. It is generally covered with grass, except the path by which the animal descends. Rats are very numerous, rather smaller than the common English one. The native dog, a perfect fox, is the most destructive animal to sheep, on account of this sheep are folded every night. 
I hope to send you ahead of one. The birds are the emu. I saw several but could not get one. My overseer found a nest with sixteen eggs. We left them, but the natives afterwards found and ate them. The native turkey, which is a bustard, and rather common. The native companion, a beautiful bird of the crane kind, apparently. I was told of a kind of bat with a body larger than a rat, but could not see one. Owls are numerous, and there is a great variety. So are eagles and hawks. White parrots abound. Indeed, there is a great variety of this tribe, some very beautiful. Quails are very plentiful, one species being very rare, their colour nearly black, with red spots. I saw one at a distance, but could not put it up again. I saw but few insects. The weather was often rather cold, and I was seldom stationary in a good district. Cicardi are deafening. End of section 55 Recording by Jenny Bradshaw